0: Welcome to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bow hunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bow hunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Byrd. Alright, welcome back to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio. We are the voice of bow hunting, and as always, we're thrilled that you've taken some time to be with us today. For an episode that if you are into hunting whitetail deer you're absolutely not going to want to miss I know this is going to be a very interesting discussion because I have uh, as my guest today, uh one of the guys that I respect probably as much as anybody uh in the deer hunting world, and that's field editor uh Bill Winky, longtime uh member of our team here at Peterson's Bow Hunting and of course uh well known for his Midwest Whitetail uh um adventures. Bill, thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, my pleasure, Christian and, and uh looking forward to Yeah, absolutely. You know, um We were talking a little bit before the show. We've done this in years past where we kind of get together as the deer seasons are winding down and take a look back at the season that was. And this year, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting discussion just for starters because you guys had quite a successful season, both you personally and uh, the whole Uh, team that you've got at Midwest Whitetail you killed two really nice bucks I know and there were a lot of other good deer taken and and good action a lot of good encounters so with that I'll just throw it out to you and why don't you kind of give me your general impressions of the 2019 uh, deer season and then we'll dive into some of those uh, uh, other specific things that you really thought were notable uh, about this year.
1: I think it was the best season that we've had since we started this um, I started Midwest Whitetail back in 2008 we had a pretty small pro staff at that time and it you know it grew to where it became a you know a pretty good sized team so we get a lot of feedback from all over the country what types of deer they're killing and what they're seeing because they send the footage in and we use it for the shows so we get firsthand you know we get a first-hand look at what what people are getting into and in, in all different parts of the country at all different times of the season so the to say that this was our best one, I mean, that spans, uh, 12, I think 12 seasons. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty big sample size. And, uh, I I think, uh, if I had to just pick out a a primary reason, I think it's because the weather was really good in October and we got a lot of productivity out of October, which can be a kind of a dead month, some years, you know, but this year, man, October was, I will not say it was as good as November from the standpoint of you know, the number of kills that we got, but I think the kills per day hunting was probably higher in October this year than it was in November. Uh, but so that was, that was the biggest, excuse me, the biggest takeaway I felt from this past season was just, uh, how good October was and how that contributed to our overall success, you know, as, as a team here. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you, you even kind of mentioned to me earlier on that you had a, an incident in October that, that made you more of a believer too. So it's, it's one thing where and maybe just kind of wrap a bow around it, probably one of the most common questions that I get uh, in, in all the different places where people contact me is which week should I take off from work in order to go bow hunting? And I've always had a more of a standard answer to that. I've always said, you know, as close to the November 3rd through the 10th, you know, as the calendar permits, you know that's that's always been a magic time. It was a good time this year too, but I would almost hedge now. Um, I would hedge a little bit more towards that last week of October because over the past few years, we're just seeing a growing trend uh, toward that time frame being really productive. And, and we can talk a little bit about the physiology of the deer. You know, maybe evolving a little bit, or just to, you know how much we hunt differently. I mean obviously you're going to kill more deer if you're more, you spend more time in the woods, you know. So, you know, the, the habits of the hunters are probably changing a little bit too to to make that uh, possible. But I do think that we're seeing uh, an opportunity there that I didn't think existed.
0: Well, there's, it's it's a very interesting uh, theory. And so the, not maybe even a theory, it's proof because you've got the, Trail camera evidence, you know, like you said, I shared uh, a particularly good buck in my area that was really active uh, there uh, in late October. Um, So you've got the encounters, you've got some kills. Uh, The question is, you know, why? Because on the one hand, Mm -hmm. when when you first start to say that, Bill, the first thing that comes to my mind is it's not really anything new in that even for you, Uh, Because I've been, you know, editing your articles here for over a decade now. And I know that you've been saying for a long time that uh, October, particularly the latter portion of October, can be really productive, especially if you get a cold front that moves through. So on the one hand, that's not necessarily anything that you haven't been saying, but it sounds to me like what you, you are saying is that you're either more convinced of that than ever before or you think that when those conditions are right that the intensity of the activity that you're seeing is more maybe than you had ever seen in the past and so the question then becomes are the deer actually changing or are you and other people you know that you're associated with just hunting more at that time and so you're more aware of it.
1: I think it I think it's probably the second one. Uh, I don't know that the deer are changing their behavior. I mean, it's possible that they are, but what I think is we've gotten better at tuning in uh, to those activity times because everybody, not everybody, but most people now are running trail cameras, if you mentioned it yourself, uh, and you start compiling that data over the course of a number of years, and even if you didn't hunt October you know, and you said, oh, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to work all all the way through October, maybe hunt the odd weekend just to make sure my stands are in the right place, you know, that the shooting lanes are open, you know, just kind of getting, you know, more comfortable with your spot. But my serious hunting is going to be in November. You know, you're still going to have your trail cameras out there telling you that, oh gosh, there was a nice buck that, you know, was moving during daylight on the, you know, and you said the 28th of October. Um, You think, well, next year, maybe I had to pay more attention to that. So I think we're we're just getting better at uh, absorbing the information that's, that's available. You know, we, we didn't hunt maybe October, maybe as much as we should have, but now the trail cameras are showing us that there's a window there that we should take advantage of. And the window is definitely a lot wider when it's cold, you know, cool for that season. You know, I mean, seasonable, seasonal, whatever you call it, temperatures in October can be a little bit on the warm side, but if you get a cold front come through or just kind of a, a naturally cooler month like we had this past year, I think that just ramps it up even more. So that's why it's tough to say, well, we need to change what we call the best week of the season because next year that, that last week of October might be warm. And, and then you're having to eat your words, but um, it's definitely put it this way. If I have the flexibility of changing my schedule and I see a, a late October cold front, I'm definitely going to find a way to take those days off and be in, in being a tree during that time because there's no question in my mind now after seeing that for several years that that's a, that's a really good opportunity.
0: Well, the other thing I want to dive into is <clears throat> when we talk about activity and opportunity, is it is it different than what we're mm-hmm. going to see Say yeah. on uh, November seventh or November tenth versus October twenty fifth, and yeah. so you know the rut obviously is going to, uh, at least the biologists would tell us that the you know based on the mean the mean conception date, uh, your rut is going to be you know full into the breeding phase around, say, November 7 to 10, whereas October 25th, you're not necessarily going to have that many does that are in asterisks. So what, what are the differences in what we're keying on as we're looking for this activity? In other words, what are the bucks doing in late October that makes them so vulnerable versus what we might think of as them doing in the peak of the rut where they're going to be, you know, trailing a doe or chasing after a doe or cruising in the middle of the day looking for a doe. They're not necessarily doing all those things the last week of October, yet they're still moving and doing something. So what is it, mm-hmm. you know, that they're doing then versus uh, 10 days later?
1: Well, and, and, you know, not being able to to read their mind exactly what their motives are, but it, it seems as if they're just out there checking, just kind of keeping tabs on things they're not covering a massive amount of ground during that time. What they're doing is staying close to home, but they're doing more of their movement during daylight, you know, because it's, you get into November and, and like you said, that the predictability starts to go out the window. You might have trail camera pictures of a buck the whole month of October. and you say, man, I can't wait until the rut. I'm going to hunt that deer. It'll be awesome. And then, you know, he gets onto a doe. And the next thing you know, he's, you know, half a mile away and he's well off your property and he might pop back in again, but he's, he's not as tied to his home range in the rut or his, you know, core area. If you want to call it that the smaller area within the area, uh, as what he would be in in October, you know, October is, he's just not making that big move yet. So they're more predictable, I guess is the bottom line. If you know where they're living, they're probably still gonna be there that last week of October. They're just gonna be moving a little bit more in daylight um and, and I like that situation real well, you know' cause it's and there's there's certain phases early in the rut that are really good too, and we can talk about that you know that first hot dough, and then you know some of the stuff that happens right in the front end of November that can be really exciting. but uh from a predictability standpoint, nothing beats the the times when those bucks are still staying close to home because you know where that home is you know if you've been doing a little bit of research now it stays the same from year to year too typically I mean there sometimes the buck will move you know from year to year but even if you don't run cameras and you say, man I saw this certain buck uh you know in my hunting area in late October and I think he's still alive he's probably going to be there again this year you know they're they're predictable enough that you can kind of put the pieces together but then you say well now now when we get into November some of that predictability goes away and and the luck becomes a little bit more of a factor in your success.
0: Yeah, I I saw that for sure with that buck that I, uh, and I sent you those two photos. Um, I had pictures of that deer all summer, and then he was there in late October, and he was very killable. And then, like the first week of November, I spent a couple days in there and uh, never never saw that buck and I didn't actually get any more uh, pictures of him. so now I don't think that he's dead or at least I haven't heard and that's a particularly large deer for you know my area so if he was killed, I would think that... Um, You know, some some word of that would leak out in in the neighborhood. Um, So I'm hopeful, you know, maybe next year I'll get a a better opportunity to do it right. You know, another thing I wanted to ask you uh, as pertains to this idea of, you know, uh, perhaps a greater opportunity or or more activity towards the late October timeframe, particularly among um, mature bucks. And I don't know if this applies to your area necessarily in Iowa, because where you live has been uh, a quality hunting area for a long time. It's got a a pretty well-managed herd. I think that generally the hunters in your area are more selective than they are here. In Pennsylvania, and I think in a lot of other areas uh, back east here, I think the quality of our herds have been increasing. And so I'm Mm -hmm. almost wondering for my area, you know, is the reason that we're seeing better hunting maybe here in October is because we're just seeing better hunting across the board. And what I'm saying is we have, I think we have a lot more mature, large racked bucks here Mm -hmm. than we did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So you, I don't know that you'd necessarily be in that same boat. Yeah,
1: I mean, we have cycles here, you you guys, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, how your cycles are there, but, you know, we get, we get hit with EHD. We get, you know, maybe overzealous, um, you know, antlerless harvest to, to facilitate farming in Iowa. You know, you get more, you get, you get, uh, cycles here that, uh, you know, cause I don't, I don't own enough land to control the life of all the deer that I come into contact with. I mean, very few of them spend their whole lives on my farm. You know, so it's, I'm still, you know, dependent on my neighbors and there's just a lot of dynamics that that take place, you know, when you throw the human element into it. But, uh, I think we, we see cycles and, uh, my best hunting ever that since I've been deer hunting was in 2011. And then we got hit really hard with EHD in 2012. We've been kind of trying to find our way back again ever since then, and, there's a lot of stuff we can discuss there. Some of it has to do with deer and some of it has to do with people, you know, because there, so like everybody always says it's easier to manage deer than it is to manage people. So you end up with trying to figure out, okay, what is the magic formula to get back to what we were, where we were, but it was ridiculous back then. I mean, and, and it's just been more of a, I'd say it, it's, I have decent bucks here to hunt, but it's not like there's a bunch of them, you know? So if I kill two or three on this farm, that's probably, as many really good ones as there are here. Uh, unfortunately, it used to be, you know, I, if I killed two or three, the kids could kill two or three, and, you know, the neighbors could kill three. You know, next thing you know, I mean, there was just a lot of big deer. But uh, so anyway, that, that that's just a long way to say that I wouldn't necessarily say that we're in the very best of cycles overall. So I think a lot of what we saw really was awareness of what the deer were doing. You know, the deer were moving more in October because of the conditions. And uh, I don't think it's the physiology of the deer. I don't think that's changing. The breeding dates aren't changing. You know, that's been pretty well documented. You know, that's that's built around the length of, of daylight in the day. And there's nothing in that that really changes. I mean, you can throw a little tweaks in there and say, they're going to move more in daylight, you know, some years than others, maybe, whatever. But the actual breeding date, uh, is, is pretty standard that's pretty much baked in so to say that something has happened in the physiology of the deer is probably incorrect i think it's just our awareness that this opportunity is there and we gear up for it um you know we we watch our cameras a little bit closer we pay more attention to what's happening as we lead up to the end of october rather than just saying well i'm, I'm just going to put all my cards in the november basket and and uh you know so that's what i think i mean. It, it it might be different in your area. I'd say everybody's you know, every situation is different. But here, um, I really believe it's just us recognizing this a little bit more.
0: Well, why don't you, um, if you don't mind, you know, share a little bit about your first buck. I think you had said that it was October 23rd that you killed. Mm-hmm. And so yep. that's, you know, that's pretty early. Uh, by, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I guess, if if you're thinking about the average bow hunters focused on the rut. Um, so tell me about the buck. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to assume it's a deer that you had some familiarity with because I know you use trail cameras, you know, pretty heavily. So tell me about the deer and, and the pattern, uh, whatever you saw that maybe led to that opportunity coming together.
1: Well, uh, sometimes it is just luck. You know, and, and you hunt carefully in a certain location as carefully as you can, but sometimes you don't have it all scripted out and, and stuff just happens and falls into your lap. And that was the situation on this deer. I was actually after a different buck that was on my, one of the cameras on a different part of my farm, pretty often in daylight. You know, I had him pretty well pegged and he was a mature deer, which, you know, again, we're, you know, mid, mid October he was moving a fair amount in daylight, which doesn't happen all the time. Um, so I was, I was more geared toward that deer. And I had a couple others that I was seeing, you know, occasionally on camera and daylight too. So there were, there were some targets on the farm that, that I was really keen keying, keying in on, but this particular evening on the 23rd, the wind was uh, forecasted to be light and variable. And I never go into my best spots or go after certain deer that I'm excited about hunting on a light and variable wind because no matter how much you do from a scent control standpoint there's always going to be some scent you know you can eliminate a lot of it but it's super super hard to eliminate it all so you got wind blowing you know 360 degrees while you're on stand you know you're probably going to mess something up Uh, so it just makes sense to stay out of those spots so I went to I went to a blind I've got a I try to hunt uh, blinds a fair amount of the time. And we could talk about the strategy of blinds and, and, you know, the whole philosophy behind when and how to hunt them. But one of the things I like about the ones that I use is that when I keep the windows closed and I close up all the doors and stuff like that, you know, I don't have a lot of human odor that gets out, you know, so you can, you can be in a blind in the area where, you know, even with a light and variable wind where you're just not going to get picked off. Um, in this situation, I went to a spot where I didn't have any history with any shooters. (laughs) It's like, well, I shouldn't say any history. I didn't have anything on camera this year in that area. So we weren't even particularly careful. I mean, we even had the, you know, the front window open. We weren't even trying to lock our scent in. we were thinking, well, this, we got to go somewhere. You know, we're going to shoot a couple of does if we can, or, you know, just have an evening, you know, just sitting in the, in the blind, kicking back, relaxing and seeing what's going on. So and, were you,
0: uh, were you in like a food plot or something or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It a little small, like one acre, uh, one acre food plot. And gosh, we could talk forever about some of the little tricks that I've learned and hunting these kind of spots. But the, uh, anyway, that's the way this one is set up. It's, it was one acre brassica plot, um, that, uh, it's like turnips and radishes and stuff like that. We use, you know, I use the, uh, of, Glen called Big and Beastie. So that was planted in there. And that tends to be a pretty good source that, that part of the season. Deer like green stuff early, and then they move to corn when it starts getting colder, and they move to grain, you know, beans and, and corn more as it starts getting colder. But early, they, they tend to favor stuff that's green. Uh, so anyway, uh, we were just sitting there, and this buck pops out about a half an hour before the end of legal shooting time right on the edge of the plot about 40 yards away. And, uh, I knew the deer right away. He was a deer that I'd had quite a bit of, of trail camera pictures of two years previous. So this is 19. So I had pictures of him in 17 and 18. And, and we filmed him, we filmed him in 18, uh, on a little small field, maybe less than a quarter of a mile from where we were sitting. And I just figured he was too young. You know, I just didn't want to, just didn't want to hunt that deer, even though he looked really, really good. Uh, I thought, well, if I just ignore him, you know, hopefully I won't be tempted to hunt him and then, you know, he'll be around next year. Well, I didn't get any other pictures of that deer in 2018, even though I had cameras in that area and I didn't get any pictures of him anywhere on the farm in 2019. So I just thought, well, here's another example of one of those deer that you let go that, you know, just dies or moves or, you know, it just seems like there's always some, some reason for them to disappear. Uh, you know, I hate being too cynical, but you know, there's a, even on this farm, you know, I'd say it's a pretty small percentage of the bucks that I let go that are nice looking bucks that I see back the next year. You know, it's less than 50% for sure. Uh, so anyway, uh, I just kind of wrote him off. It's like, well, dang it. You know, I really wanted to see him again next year, but he, he just didn't show up. Um, uh, so we were, and that was the deer. So he, he popped out and right away, I'm like, Holy cow, that's him. And, and, uh, you know, he didn't really offer a good shot angle and it took a little while for him to work his way out in front of the blind there. But eventually he came right past, excuse me, right past that about 20 to 25 yards broadside and, you know, offered a really easy shot. But that, that buck, he kept, he came out, he looked around, fresh into scrape ate just a little bit. And then he was moving. He was going on to someplace else. He was going to make his rounds, uh, you know, I suppose he goes around and hits a few scrapes here and there, you know, just checks to see what the status of the does are, just sort of keeping tabs on things. And that's all he was doing. He wasn't there to feed. You know, he fed for maybe a minute or two, you know, maybe a little bit more, but then he was, he was going, he was, you know, he was ready to go. Uh So that, that's kind of what I think the behavior that you see in that part of the, of the year. You see the deer that are kind of in their element, but they're just moving a little bit more, just covering ground, checking on things, just seeing what the does are up to, maybe keeping tabs on where the rut is at, you know, what stage it is. So it was kind of, like I said, it was a luck, a luck deal because, you know, I wouldn't have been there if the wind had been more consistent. I would have been hunting a different spot. Uh, and I was also lucky from the standpoint that this deer somehow popped up, even though I didn't have any, anything to suggest that he was even still alive. So that was pretty cool. Uh, once in a while, Once in a while, that stuff happens, and it gives you a little bit of faith in the fact that you never know what's out there.
0: Well, it it happens, you know, still quite a bit. We we like to think that, um, you know, the trail cameras tell all, but actually, one of the things that I found myself um, reminding myself quite a bit this year because there was one particular spot. It's actually where I ultimately killed the buck that I ended up killing uh, here in Pennsylvania and had really good deer activity. But as I would sit in that stand, I would realize, you know, just how many deer uh, could move through the area and never get their picture taken because that was just yep. a camera that I had on a mock scrape there. And there were certainly plenty of deer that visited the mock scrape, but not nearly yep. every every deer that would walk through that piece of ground so I think that actually that was you want to talk about lessons or things that are notable coming out of the rut for me one of the big things is man don't let what is or isn't on your camera affect your mood and attitude so much about when you go out in the tree. Like just because you have a giant buck doesn't mean you're going to kill him. And just because you don't have any giant bucks doesn't mean there's not one there because the camera sees what the camera sees. And there's a lot of world that the camera doesn't see.
1: <laughs> so yeah, and there's, there, there are situations where you can skew that in your favor. Um, you know, as far as like some States it's legal to put bait in front of cameras. Some States it's legal to hunt over bait. You know, there, there are certain things you can do to skew those results, but if you're putting cameras on natural movement of any kind, even if it's a, a you know, a hole in a fence or something like that, you're still only going to get a percentage of what's there. The only time you're, you're probably going to get most of what's there is if you're sitting on food. Um, then you're, you might get, you know, a lot of it at night, but you're probably going to get most of what's there. Uh, the, the uh, going back to that again, and it's interesting that you bring that up because, I remember one year um, I had a big deer living around the house and I hunted so carefully. I mean, it was like, I scrutinized everything that I did, every, every step that I took, you know, literally like, I'm going to walk down here. I'm going to hide behind the LP tank. And I'm going to go behind this tree. And it was like, I just laid out exactly, you know, every step of, of the process of hunting here. And I thought, why wouldn't I do that in, on a normal day why would I just go walking through the woods and get into my tree on a normal day where I'm not aware that there's a big shooter around you know it's sort of like I hunted better and more carefully because I thought he was there you know I didn't end up killing him but it was it was kind of an interesting lesson to me it's like what if I just took every single day and treated it like this is the day when I'm going to kill one rather than just saying well I'm going through the motions putting my time in you know and you kind of get a little bit lazy sometimes in in your approach so that was a that was a good point and i think you're you know you mentioning the fact that we don't always know what's there we should assume that there's something there that's going to make us hunt better uh we should hunt as if we believe that there's a big deer in the area or a shooter or whatever a deer whatever you're after just assume that that this is the day
0: yeah and, uh, yeah, I think, yeah i agree yeah, and, the, and the thing and the thing is um if you've had that deer on the camera uh and you know he's in the area uh just because he hasn't been on the camera for a few days doesn't mean he still didn't walk within 50 yards of that camera every day right you know what i mean so yeah you got to keep you got to keep your mind completely in the game and be just as Mm -hmm. invested you know because like that's exactly like you say you know it's like you yeah you were so careful because you knew that deer was there Well, guess, guess what? How many times do we go out every fall and that big deer is there? I mean, he's within, you know, a hundred or 200 yards of you while you're walking in and you don't ever know it just the way it is.
1: Yeah. So I I think you, you have to hunt as carefully as you possibly can every time you go because you don't know. Uh, and, And I think that is one of the negatives of trail cameras is that they give us a false sense of, of knowledge that makes us maybe a little bit sloppy. If, if we're not, quote unquote, in the game. Uh, so that that's I'm not saying that they're not they're not valuable and they aren't a lot of fun. I'm just saying that you have to be careful that you don't assume too much. Uh, and you made a good point about that. I'm just reiterating your point.
0: Well, as you're talking there, it made me think of my 14 year old. So, because my boys, your, your kids are a little older now. You've gotten through the, I think, maybe the worst of those teenage years. My 14-year-old drives me nuts right now because he knows everything, you know? And uh, <laughs> just as you were talking about those trail cameras, I'm like he's, like, he's like my kid. Because, you know, no matter what you're talking about, it's like, no, I know what I'm doing. And, you know, as the parent, I'm like, dude, you have no idea what you're doing. Well, that's how we are as deer hunters here. You know, we're like, yeah, I know what the deer mm-hmm. are doing. I know what's going to happen well you may or you may not <laughs>
1: right. so yeah, yeah. i yep. think it's healthy to, to assume to assume that you don't know uh, everything because that that's going to be right most of the time and that's going to make you i think better uh at, at executing your hunts than if you think you've got it figured out
0: well that's that's good advice for i think life not just deer yeah. hunting, yeah. <laughs> but we don't, well, but we think, don't.
1: About, think about taking, taking the life lesson. So think about some of the things that that you look back on your life now and you think, man, if I'd only known when I was X Y Z age what I know now, what I would have done differently in that situation, you know. And, and at that time, you thought you knew, you know, you you thought, oh, I got this figured out. Oh, this is what I'm going to do. Well, you know, what what if you know we we never know as much as we think we know. <laughs> yeah, Unfortunately, and, and that's, even that, even at this age we think oh, no. I well, seen it all. I, well,
0: you haven't seen it all. Well, one of the uh, one of the things about getting older, right, is that we just uh, we we gain perspective and we become more aware of what we mm-hmm. don't know, and uh, that that helps us, you know, because we we become hopefully as we mature, right, we get a little less defensive and a little bit more open to the idea of just admitting yeah, I don't know everything and I I need to, you know, be open to new ideas or new ways of looking at things. Uh, And that can serve us well, you know, in the deer woods as well as a lot of other areas of life. Um, So transit,
1: go ahead. I think really quick on that one, I think as a deer hunter, I I mean, obviously that, that applies to a lot of things, but, you know, I think back now and it's like, you've heard people say, well, the more I learn, the less I realize that I know. Um, it's so true about deer hunting. I mean, I've become increasingly humbled over the years of hunting these things, even though, you know, my, my track record of killing deer is still pretty decent. It's like, man, I realize that there's a lot of luck involved here. You know, at first you're like, oh, I can do this. I got this figured out. I'm, I'm great at this. And then you just get beat up enough that you start looking at it saying, well, there's just a lot of this that, that comes down to luck. You have to hunt carefully you got to do some things right. But at the end of the day, uh, it's just going to be putting your time in and getting lucky. So you just have to accept that fact. You can't take credit for all the stuff that we kill. Usually, I mean. It's, no.
0: Well, and the, the other so, thing is, the other thing is, is the game is always going to humble you. So yeah. <laughs> you you show me a bow hunter who has had you know several seasons in a row of amazing success, and I will mm-hmm. show and I will show you a bow hunter who's about to, mm-hmm. you know, be brought back down to earth, because that's always what happens. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. And and yeah. I know you had a season, did, wasn't it just like last year or the year before that you didn't mm-hmm. kill a buck at all?
1: Yeah, last, last season I didn't. Yeah, 2018. Yeah. So again, you know, you get humbled, you know, and you, you go, well, I'm never going to take too much credit for the stuff that I kill, because I realized that, you know, I put the same effort in, and the same amount of, you know, quote unquote knowledge or experience or whatever into my 2018 season and didn't kill anything. So how can I say that, you know, I'm awesome at this, you know, if I can't, if I can't make it happen at the end of the day, like I said, you make a few good decisions, you hunt as carefully as you can, so the deer don't know that they're being hunted and then you just wait for the luck. And some places the luck comes quicker than other places because there's more deer there, you know, whatever the case may be in some places, they, the luck comes slower. You know but it still just comes down to you know putting the time in and waiting for the you know the, the pieces to kind of fall in
0: oh, i uh, i talk about that all the time here you know and everybody who hunts in a you know an area like like i do where it's you know, it's good deer hunting. Uh, we've got quite a few deer, but when you're talking about you know mature bucks, and and in my area, you know, I'm talking about bucks ages three and a half years old and older. You know, you're probably mm-hmm. you're probably hunting deer, say four and a half and older. You may even be generally trying to kill five and a half year old deer. Y- you'd have an awfully long season each and every yeah. year if that was your goal here. So, um, yeah, I mean, you just have to hunt where there's. Good deer to kill. Good deer, and the more and the more the more good deer. Actually, it comes back to here's a Bill Winkie quote for you, Bill. Uh, I I actually tell this all the time here in Pennsylvania. I say, you know what Bill Winkie says? Bill always says, "I'll take a mediocre deer hunter on a great property versus a great deer hunter on a mediocre property every day." So I'm happy. I'm happy to be that mediocre deer hunter if I can make my
1: property good enough.
0: <laughs> oh, that's not what I was saying. I'm not calling no, no, you mediocre. Not,
1: no, no. I'm I'm totally happy with that. So here's another one that that I find interesting is, you know, when we produce our, our episodes of our shows, sometimes we kill some really big deer, you know, and it's the situation is ideal for that, and we we understand that, you know, it's not like we're we're pretending, you know, that like we did something that we didn't. Um, I mean, you always get a comment like, oh, try to do that on public land. Well, my answer is it's impossible. No, I cannot. It is impossible for me to do this on public land. Um, uh, and, and I'm not comparing myself to any other hunter. It's just the situation where I hunt is different. You know, the experience doesn't have to be better or worse. It's just different. And if you, if you only equate success by the deer that you bring home, then yeah, I guess it's better. But, you know, it's still hunting, you know, no matter where you do it. Um, But yeah, people, I think, get defensive because they look at what somebody else might have and they say, oh, but try to do that where I hunt. Well, I can't. I mean, that's the whole point. You know, you are correct. Uh, I I still say the best deer hunter in the country is probably some guy killing two and a half year old bucks every other year in PA or Michigan or someplace like that. You know, he's probably not some, you know, some celebrity hunter uh, that you've heard of. You know, it's going to be somebody that you've never heard of. That's getting it done in in the toughest possible conditions, and even then, it's it's really really hard. I mean, there's still it just comes down to time, making a few good decisions, and just being there and, and having it fall in your lap. It's not it's even the, even in any situation that you hunt, you cannot make the deer come past. Uh, it's just so you're no, always no. you know yep. you're always playing defense. You're, you're never oh, yeah. saying okay, I'm I'm going to kick <clears> the <throat> field goal to win the game. You're always just waiting for the other team to make a mistake.
0: Well, and that's where that's where uh, hunting like one particular buck. Really becomes a challenge. And that's something, you know, I haven't advanced to that level of either acumen or insanity. I'm not sure which it would be. But, uh, you know, it's very interesting, though. We've got a a contributor uh, who's been doing quite a bit for us, Clint Casper from Ohio. That's something he likes to do. And, you know, as he points out, if you're going to try and do that, and I think you have some over the years, Bill, you've got to go into it with the knowledge that you're very likely to end your season with a tag still in your pocket because like you said you can't make deer do anything and now you're talking about one individual so even if you have a situation like you have there in Iowa where you have you know, say uh, a thousand acres that's relatively controlled and managed, you're still talking about a completely wild animal. And now you're talking about one specimen on a landscape, a deer that can go anywhere it wants to go, can leave your property and never come back. You're going to pick out one tree on one day and want that deer Mm -hmm. to walk within 30 yards of it. Well, good luck.
1: Good luck. (laughs) You 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 can make that. You have a better chance of making success on that if you have enough ground. Because then what you end up with is you have several traps. You know, you have several places that set up well for your advantage where the deer might pass through. You know, so you can bounce around and you can keep your pressure from getting too heavy. But it's super, super hard to do that on a small property where you're really limited in the number of places that you can set up. Because it doesn't take very long at all before that deer knows he's being hunted and then you're, you're out of the game. So that's the one thing I will say is, you know, it, it isn't as hard as it might look from the outside in, if you have enough ground and you control more of the variables. But when you don't control, you know, how much hunting pressure that deer is getting, how much education he's getting by other people, I mean, it's really, really hard. Um, it's it's more of, than it is insanity. uh to say, well, I'm, I'm going to hunt this one deer on 40 acres, and if I don't get him, I'm going to, you know, I, I just feel like, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying that, nothing wrong with trying that, but you you just have to be realistic that your odds are, are pretty low. Um, whereas if I had, let's say 400 acres in, in that same area and the deer was on it more often, I just feel like, you know, your odds are, are just so much better at pulling it off. And it just, it, it, then it is an insanity. Um, you don't have to be, you can, you can make that a goal and, and not feel like, gosh, I just wasted my whole season. Um, so anyway, that's, that's just my thoughts on it. It does. There are situations where it's not as hard, you know, to kill that one specific buck as what it is in other situations
0: let's um transition to november now because i know you killed another buck and we haven't even talked about that one so uh why don't you kind of set that up for us when did you kill your second buck and uh you know what was different at that time of the year versus october 23rd when you killed your first one what was going on
1: well the You know, there's there's more of a dialogue here where we talk about the phases of the rut and the opportunities that exist during different phases. And I've had very poor success over the years of killing anything in the middle of November. You know, you've got that maybe a a week to 10-day period where, you know, the bell-shaped curve of the number of does that are in estrus is at a peak. So you've got a lot of does in estrus right there during the middle of November. And that's when most of the bucks that have anything going on at all, you know, as far as maturity, they're going to be with a doe. They're not very often walking around, just cruising around looking because as soon as they get done breeding one doe and spend whatever time they spend with her, they don't have to try too hard before they find the next one or steal her away from another buck or whatever, you know, the case may be. So they just aren't covering very much ground. And it's absolutely, it absolutely is true. I mean, I've just seen it over all these years of hunting the rut, that middle of the month can be really, really tough. Not to say that you don't catch the odd one here or there. You have a hot doe come past and there's, you know, two or three bucks, you know, trying to, you know, trying to get her cornered. You can still have good hunts, but they're a lot less frequent. So once I got through the first part of November and I didn't have, um, you know, any, any success with another buck, and I can kill two here during the early part of the rut because I'm a landowner. So the state of Iowa gives us a separate tag just for the landowner. So that's, that's why. I'm able to, you know, keep going during the rut, but I I kind of almost took some time off there, there in the middle. And I thought once they come off these does, the first thing they're going to want to do at the tail end of the rut is to get some food. So I started focusing on making sure that some of the better areas on my farm that have food were set up well. And, uh, I have a a cornfield here that didn't get combined and I knew that they were going to be going in there you know, it's just, they love corn, you know, they get into November and, you know, that's, that's what they want. Uh, they want the carbohydrates and they just really crave that corn. So I went in there and got a blind situated, you know, I, I use blinds on trailers, you know, a lot of times too. So I don't have to worry about, you know, how am I going to get it in there and set it up? And is the wind going to destroy it or whatever? I just put these fiberglass blinds on trailers and just pull them around, uh, So I pulled it in there and got it set up. And again, this is one of those spots where we talked about earlier, where, you know, the wind is going to play havoc. Uh, It doesn't matter what wind direction it's blowing. If you're sitting on the edge of a a feeding area, because there's going to be deer coming from some direction or every direction, you know, so there's not a safe wind. The only way there'd be a safe wind is if there's a river or or a pond or something on the downwind side. And that wasn't the situation. So the, the, the whole strategy was to use the blind, keep the windows closed, and uh keep our scent bottled up inside. And uh
0: so I didn't hunt <coughs> excuse me, I didn't hunt it
1: much. Um, I think I moved it in there towards the tail end of October, first part of November, knowing that this was gonna be my you know, my ace in the hole uh when the time came. So I just kinda of poked around a little bit in there just to make sure that it was set up right and then and then just backed off and just waited. So the 22nd of November was uh, when I killed the second buck and it was the first time I went in there seriously with the intention of, of hoping to catch these bucks that are, you know, coming off the does. And there was two of them that came in. One was, I figured it was probably four years old. So he would have been a breeding age buck here for sure. Um, Almost every buck is a breeding age buck here unless he's, you know, just a year and a half old, but, um, So he was, he was definitely a buck that you'd normally say would have been off the market uh, during the middle of November. And then the other one that came in, I figure he's five years old Deer that I had uh, a fair amount of history with. In fact, the deer that I went into the season, you know, most specifically trying to hunt, um, he came in. So I shot that buck and, uh, you know, the older buck, but that was, and there's a lot of details on how the hunt actually went down and maybe we can put it into a magazine article at some time to to go into the details because we could spend 15 minutes just talking about you know how we set up the spot and how we you know finally were able to get the windows open you know with the deer close and you know it's it's uh it's not so simple as just to say oh there he is and shoot him because if you got the windows closed as soon as you open them you know two things are going to happen you're going to make noise and you're going to have your scent going downwind you know so it's it's one of those things where you've got to be kind of lucky again to to have the, you know, have it come together. But, uh, so anyway, I, I was able to kill him again, pretty easy shot, 20 yards, broadside. Um, that one worked out well, but the whole key to that is what the deer do or what the bucks do on the back end of the rut. And, you know, they still will do some cruising in the mornings, uh, looking for does in the bedding areas, but their evenings, typically they're going back towards food. So the middle of November, you know, from maybe the 7th or 8th until around the 20th, it just feels like the the food sources get abandoned. You know, the does aren't going there. They get harassed too much. They're all hiding out back in the, in the thick cover. And the bucks, they know that. So they're not coming out. They're with does. You know, they're looking for them or they're with them. And uh, it, it kind of dies. But then you get around the 20th, roughly, of November, and you get on the backside of that rut, and there's less does in estrus this is kind of the first opportunity those bucks have to really start feeding seriously again, but they still are thinking about does. I mean, they'll come in, they'll feed and then they'll go, you know, go for a walk. They're not coming in there for two hours just to eat, but they are going to look for, for something to eat. So that's, that's kind of how that one worked out. Uh, Just took advantage of that stress that they feel through the rut. And then, you know, they have to find something to eat, you know, once the, the pressure is off and they can, you know, focus back on food.
0: Well, that, <clears throat> that's really interesting. So you killed your two bucks basically a month apart yeah. uh, in October 23rd and November 22nd, and yeah. you, you essentially avoided, um, you know, not— purposefully maybe I'm. you probably hunted some in early November but my point oh, yeah. is you, you didn't you didn't kill either your deer in the window that 99% of your fellow bull hunters would pick as the prime time so to speak there yeah in, no I think in early November I, I
1: think it's a good time for sure it's a good time to be in the tree you're going to see a lot of movement during those you know during that period but again it's the predictability of it and, and trying to kill I, I won't say specific deer but in, in some ways You know, that's still what I do. Uh, And and I just feel like, you know, I hunted during that time, but there was a lot of dead hunts. There were a lot of hunts where you sat in a morning tree stand up on a ridge and you see, you know, two or three bucks and, you know, one doe. And, you know, maybe you get the odd chase, you know, you get one doe that comes through an estrus and then you got four or five bucks, you know, chasing around someplace nearby. But it, it doesn't have that same predictability that you have right prior to the rut and right after. Uh, you know, I never want to stop hunting the rut, but I think from a predictability standpoint of saying, well, this is the buck I want to kill. Yeah. I mean, you're almost better catching that deer somewhere near food. Um, it's just harder because they're going to have certain places where they go, you know, in, in the evenings to eat. Cause there's not like the whole places, you know, unlimited food sources, maybe some areas it is where you got acorns everywhere or whatever. But most of the places that I hunt, they have specific places where the deer go to eat. And those are way more predictable than where they go the rest of the time. Um, You know, so just from the standpoint of playing the odds, you know, doing really well around the places where they eat is going to tip the odds in your favor, but it doesn't do you any good to be in there beating those spots up when the deer aren't using them. So you stay away from those spots during the, you know, during those primary times of the rut when the bucks are really after the does or really with the does. And then you key on them early. Like we talked about when I killed that deer uh, where he's just out making his rounds or late when the rut is still playing its way out, there's still a little bit of testosterone going on. So these deer are showing some daylight movement, but they're more likely to do a, a certain percentage of that around food. Uh, so I don't know if that makes sense, but that's over the years, that's kind of what my philosophy has evolved into. I love all the other parts of the rut. It's fun to be out there and see the grunting and the chasing and, but from the standpoint of, of the predictability, especially if you have control over the food, um, those are the times that are gonna be easier to, to target specific deer, I think.
0: All right, it makes perfect sense. And actually you are um, not in the minority whatsoever when it comes to you know fairly uh, accomplished deer hunters that I know and talk to on a regular basis. Who have said that they would much prefer to hunt that earlier part of the season, or that later part of the season where you killed your, you know, your bookend bucks this year, than during the peak of the rut for the exact same reasons that you just laid out, because it's so much easier to pattern mm-hmm. and predict where a, where a particular buck might be then versus the peak of the rut. Now on the other side of the coin I also know other hunters um, Eddie Claypool comes to mind now here you're talking about a guy who's dealing with a completely different scenario right because he's not hunting mm-hmm. on managed ground he's usually he's traveling to public land in a variety of states right throughout the midwest mm-hmm. and he relies on the rut to kill, most of his bucks because he'll just get into a pinch point or a piece of cover and rely on that daylight activity and hours in the tree to eventually create an mm-hmm. opportunity for him. But he's not necessarily targeting a particular buck or being perhaps quite as selective as, you know, someone like you might be. So there's yeah. different it, ways to go about it, but they're all would, good. It would. It would
1: definitely work here too. It will work anywhere to do it that way, and that's what we do. But it just—it just seems like uh, if you had to place your bet, you, you would place it on the places, uh, locations where that are more like central hubs.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and, and I think that something you said earlier though goes hand in glove with that, which is those hubs are hubs uh you know a but because there's food there but also yep. b, b because the pressure is controlled and so what i in, mean is you, you yep. you've got places here in pennsylvania where the game commission puts food plots on state uh mm-hmm. public hunting land but, yep. but, beca- but, but but because there's so much uncontrolled hunting pressure there you can't just expect to go in there on an evening in october yeah. and have a good buck come out he might come out there at two in the morning you know what i mean
1: right yeah so it, sometimes it makes me feel guilty for having the opportunities that I have, but at the same time, it's like, gosh, I really, I really do just like going out and relaxing and doing it my way, you know, without having to fight people. Um, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to feel guilty about the hunting being as easy as it is on the controlled ground. But it's just <laughs> I don't think
0: I don't think you need to feel guilty or apologize to anybody. I mean, the truth truth of the matter is, you know, I don't. I would say I certainly don't have it as good as you but I don't hunt on on public ground very often either you know I'm dealing with much smaller parcels of, of private ground because the property sizes here just tend to be a lot smaller but I mean that's honestly the key to my whole strategy. Is I try to find the pockets of low to no pressure and many times it's not very far at all you know it might be just across the road or just on the other side of a field from another area where I know that there's quite a bit of pressure and it's amazing how much difference even a few hundred yards can make when it comes to being able to get into a spot you know uh cleanly and hunt it you know multiple times over the course of the season and i'm seeing deer you know regularly and somebody else that i know is hunting close to me is complaining about not seeing any deer so right. it, it's a, kind of the same thing it's just being done in a little bit different scale you know
1: yeah and, and i think every the whole key to it in my mind is just you have to have your expectations have to be realistic and and you know, you you can't look at what somebody else is doing and say, well, how come I can't resemble that same amount of success? It's because a lot of times two two things you might not be as careful as they are, but also your spot may just not be near as good as what the other guys is. So, you know, that you have to be, you have to be open to the fact that, you know, my definition of success has to follow the opportunities that I have and not be out of proportion. Uh, And that's why I like when I write about stuff, I don't try to say, you know, a certain antler size or anything like that. I just talked about age, you know, and, and I think it's realistic for anybody to hunt an age class that's one year older than what the average person in their area is killing. So if the average person in your area is killing a year and a half old buck, it's realistic for you to set your trophy expectations at a two and a half year old. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's probably a, a, a way to look at it and say, well, this, you know, this is a really high quality deer for my area. He's just a year older than, you know what most everybody else is hunting but this is this is it you know i mean i'm not going to get unrealistic in in what i think i can kill
0: yeah absolutely <clears throat> absolutely my friend um <clears throat> we like you said we could go we could go another two hours but uh we're we're not going to <laughs>
1: not no, today I, do, I got an oil change appointment <laughs> what time is it my it's uh, oh you're it.
0: You're in good shape. You don't have your oh, appointment yeah. for another 40 minutes, but yeah, that yes, was, that's going. uh if you wanna know like how glamorous it is to be Bill Winkie, you know, he has to, I would have thought that you would have had like one of your staffers to take your truck to the shop for yeah. you, but you're a man of the people and you take your own truck to the shop. It just goes to show that in so spite how of. Define,
1: <laughs> that's how you define being a man of the people. Huh? He's who a man of the people. Yeah, who, who takes your truck to get an oil change? you know he hasn't they
0: they always say you know winky hasn't let the fame go to his head he still drives his truck to the oil change
1: yeah wow okay okay, thank you i appreciate that i think
0: (laughs) so so i guess you know let's wrap it up with this um just, just give me a quick heads up on uh, 2020. What's going on in in your life for 2020? What are you, what are you looking forward to? And uh, is there anything, is there anything big on the horizon?
1: Well, I think the, you know, from the the deer standpoint, um, there's always bucks that will jump in and surprise us. You know, deer that show up that, you know, grew bigger than what we thought, and so forth. So I don't have, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't have any huge expectations for for, you know, what's going to pop up on the farm from the standpoint of, of, of bucks. But, you know, on on a personal level, uh, there's always change, you know, especially now that the kids are, are moved on, you know, so they, you know, they still come home some, but you know, they, they're college, you know, they're in college and they, they, they take summer classes and, you know, it's it's sort of like, what are we going to do next? You know, so we're kind of at that stage where anything could happen from here out, um, you know, you could, you could find out one day I'm in a VW van with my, you know, my bandana on doing the hippie tour. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no rules as long as I can figure out, you know, how to pay the bills, uh, because the kids are, you know, they were so central to everything that we did and now they're more on their own. So that's the challenge is like, okay, how do we find a purpose from here on out? Um, so that, that's, that's where, you know, where from a personal standpoint where we're going to be, it's like, okay, what, what next, you know, now what do we do? Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it could be, it could be the same thing exactly next year or, or I could be, uh, doing my, my, uh, podcast from a VW van in Southern California on the beach.
0: Well, if you if you do that, you can start, you know, getting back to some of those Western species that you used to hunt, and yeah. you you didn't have as much of an opportunity there while your kids were, yep. uh, you know, doing doing their thing, and and now you can maybe yeah, you can you can have your own uh, roving hunting camper.
1: And I've thought of that for sure, you know, and, and if the writing markets were better, I think that I would do that in a second. I think I would walk away from video because there's so much infrastructure that goes with that and with the writing you know it's just you a camera and a computer uh and, and your experiences you know you can be very very portable and do that uh but you know the number of magazines out there and the opportunities to to do well writing is really starting to get less and less uh not to say that you can't reinvent that but you know it's it's tough so uh that would be a really really cool lifestyle and i could see doing that uh you know just getting a motor home and saying well we're just going to travel and see cool places. And, you know, I can get back to, you know, hunting elk and mule deer. I used to love mule deer hunting. Uh, And and I'm not saying that I don't love whitetail hunting, but I I have not traveled to hunt since 2008 uh, when we started Midwest whitetail. And uh, it's nice to be able to do it all right here from home. You know, it's a blessing. You know, we were able, I was able to spend, you know, tons and tons of time with the family and, you know, I never missed anything that the kids did, you know, it never was gone. I was always here. So, you know that was really valuable, but now, you know, like you say, there might be some opportunities to do some some really cool stuff, and you just got to figure what the, what those are, um, and figure out how to be able to actually afford to do it, rather than just want to do it.
0: Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to. That's always uh... the tricky part. <laughs> I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you my big free business tip of the day, and okay. we'll close with this. Go. Yeah, like you said, you know the writing's tough. These kids nowadays, right? They don't, they don't like to read anymore. That's too much effort. It's got to be all on that screen, and um, mm-hmm. you know TikTok, TikTok. That's my thing. That that I don't even know what it is. I don't have an account or anything. I just know that's the app now. That's the app to be on. So what you need to do, Bill, is you need to fit, get that VW bus and like plan out your escapades. And somehow you've got to put content on TikTok and you probably will take the world by storm and I'll be working for you at this time next year. Oh, boy. I'll be driving your VW bus to the oil change. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So here, here's the trick. We're going. Let's go a little bit deeper into the business side of it. Somebody still has to want to give you money to do it. And and that's the hard part because, you know, to, to to create content now and to create viewership and to create demand, it's not super hard. You just be a little, you know, be a little bit out of the, out of the box and be consistent. You can create content. It's just hard to turn that into money. Uh, that's, that's the challenge is like, there's so much of it out there that it's really hard to say, well, who's going to give me money to do this? Um, yeah, I can be really successful at it, but how do you monetize that? And, that's the biggest challenge in this world that we're in now. It used to be pretty easy. I mean, you knew if I wrote X number of articles, this is how much money I was going to make. But if you create content for the web now and you don't have a really good plan um, and really understand the dynamics of it, which I don't, uh, you know, you can find yourself just you know spinning your wheels, creating a bunch of work for yourself and not figuring out how to actually make any money on it.
0: Yeah, well, we don't even have time to begin to get into all this, but yeah, one 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 of the blessings, you know, everybody knows the blessings of social media and how, you know, certainly right as hunters, it helps us to, you know, c- basically crowdsource all of our wisdom and knowledge, and, you know, you can get field reports from everywhere instantaneously, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of useful things about it, but from the business standpoint, um, a lot of those things, like you talked about, that companies would pay somebody like you or I to do, now there's a, literally 10 million people out there with social media accounts who are willing to do things for manufacturers for nothing, essentially, and that yeah. that's yeah. a big change. That's a big change.
1: Yeah. 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 So it's hard to, I mean, we had our niche, you know, and and it's still going, it's good. We're making money, you know, but at at some point, unless you're going to continue to do it forever, um, it's hard to find an alternative where you can create uh, actual decent revenue, you know, in this environment, you know, and, and you guys can do it there. I mean, we could get way off topic, but you guys can do it there because you command such a wide network. It's just harder for an individual to say, okay, well, I'm going to go freelance, you know, and I'm going to make X amount. Well, gosh, I don't really know how you do that. Um, You know, I I I think,
0: I think the moral of the story here uh, is that everyone needs to make sure that they continue their, Subscriptions to Peterson's bow hunting, <laughs> and and actually, I'm going to throw in a, sh- a shameless plug here, Bill. We we're starting something new. So everybody, we used to sell the digital subscriptions separately, so you could have print or digital or both. But starting, I don't know if it's right now or the first of the year or what, but all of our subscribers. Are going to have access to the digital subscription as well so that you can you can check bill's articles out and peterson's bow hunting uh on your digital subscription and then you can bop right over to midwest whitetail and watch his hunts on video and um man we're just going to keep on doing it for at least a little while longer right <laughs>
1: yeah we got you right <laughs> we, we can't just quit i don't
0: know
1: who's going to you know, no, I don't know.
0: You know, your kids, your kids are your kids are out of the house. I actually dream about that when I lay my head on the pillow at night. I actually like everything that you just said about how like someday when my kids are in college and I I'm not worried that if I die that they could like take care of themselves. Right. I feel like I'm gonna have so much more freedom because I could just come in here one day at that point and be like, you know what, I, I'm gonna go try and do something else. And if it doesn't work out, that'll that'll stink. But like, I only have to worry about my wife and I now, and we can like put food on our table. And so I don't yeah. need to worry about anything else, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, <laughs> it is nice. The, the, the problem is you know, who, who knows if you live to be 90 and then you just made enough income to, to live to be 80, you know? So it's like you, you hate even at that point to say, well, I'm just going to kind of throw caution to the wind unless you've already got retirement covered because you can you can outlive your your money. And that's the unfortunate reality of just Winging it. I'm, 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 I'm with you though. Hey, let's get the VW bus. Let's go. I mean, let's try to figure out at least how we're going to pay the, 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 basic expenses.
0: All right, <laughs> let's uh, figure that out. Well, let's okay, let's we're, wrap we're, this up, and then we can get together <laughs> offline and figure out how we can sell some sponsorships to, uh, uh, you know, Winky. I think, Berg and Winkies cross-country bus tour, you know? Your, your listeners
1: probably would way rather us do this publicly so they can laugh at us than for us to go offline and do it.
0: Well how about this? Maybe we crowdfund this thing? Maybe we just throw maybe we just throw this out to all the Peterson's bow hunting and midwest whitetail uh audience and say, "Hey, you know, would you be willing to give two dollars a month for Bill and Christian to go mule deer hunting with the v w bus <laughs> and you know for two dollars a month subscription and we give we give like you know." twice a week you know video updates from the field and they have exclusive access i mean this thing could be big
1: well so so here's here's how i'm going to wrap this up at the end of every episode of midwest whitetail i have two words that i always say it's
0: dream big dream big
1: oh. right
0: now <laughs> yeah we're dreaming big well hopefully you know hope hopefully we went on it long enough that people did yeah. get it they're all laughing at us now yeah and they uh, all left. they're all
1: doing doing something important they're taking they their might be to the oil change
0: but I'll tell you what I think for the most part there except for that last eight minutes or whatever we <laughs> we had a pretty good discussion about deer season so hopefully yeah, everybody okay. got something out of it no
1: I hope I, hope I do but yeah I, I appreciate it and in yeah I mean it, it is it, it's interesting the next chapter once you get the empty nest and you've kind of gotten through those times when you're super necessary uh, it, it's Then it's interesting. Like, okay, now what? So that's kind of where I'm at.
0: Well, I certainly appreciate um, everything that you've done to us, or done for us, to this point. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, I wish you. Can you? I'll never. (laughs) I'll never forget everything that you've done to us, Bill. and uh that's it yeah okay thanks bill it was a great show take care (laughs) thank you for listening to peterson's bowhunting radio the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters pick up the latest issue of peterson's bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com